Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science and spirituality are telling us that we are all connected, that we are all one. So what you do to another person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Mary Lee's U.S. Book Tour. Mary was with us back in July uh, at the beginning of her U.S. Book book Tour. And Mary is the author of an award-winning book, um, sorry, the author of the award-winning book, Unwitting Mystic, and she is back with us today at the end of her tour, and I'd uh, love to welcome Mary to Awake to Oneness Radio. Hello, hello, Caroline. It's very nice to be here. Yes, I also wanted to mention to the audience listeners that I had the honor and privilege of meeting you this past October 1st. Uh, when you were here in the Poconos, and that was just the honor for me. Thank you so much for coming to the Poconos and sharing your wisdom and your your journey and your amazing story with the people here in the Poconos. Thank you so Thank much you. for that. And I appreciated your invitation very much. I had always, since I was a little kid, heard about the Poconos and always wanted to go, and I appreciate that you opened that door and made it happen for me. So thank yes. you. <laughs> and actually, we've had beautiful weather here the last week and a half. I mean, if it, uh, we've had Indian summer. It's been almost mm-hmm. in the 70s here, and mm-hmm. the colors are beautiful. So it just happened that weekend you were here, we had a little kind of rain, but it was all good. Like you said, everything is in perfect timing, and it was a beautiful weekend. Yeah, actually, I don't mind the the sort of cozy, misty kind of weather that we had at all. And I think we were there just a little bit before the peak season, but then we Uh headed up into New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine right for the the next two weeks, right at the peak of color season, and it was just... It was just spectacular. It's the I know what you're standing in and your colors right now, and it's just yes, uh, it's yes. just jaw dropping. It's really beautiful yes. in there. It is. We we are just in our peak, and the weather. I mean, it's just for the past week, it's been 65, 70 up to, mm-hmm. into 72 degrees, which is so unusual for Lovely. you know. We always get a little bit of Indian summer, but this is an, an extended Indian summer, so I, I'm enjoying it so That's much. Lovely. Well, I'm in Connecticut here, and we're having sort of blustery. Uh, winds and sort of moist air coming in, so it's uh, giving us a hint of things to come, I think. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> winter is not far away. That's right. <laughs> so please share with our listeners. I know you've been on a tour now since July, and your tour just recently came to an end. So please share share that that experience with our listeners. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, I must apologize. My voice is quite um, uh, sort of rough-sounding. i am just finished the end of 30 events um, pretty much since the middle of September. It was quite a compressed thing. I had some events on the West Coast in July and then um, did some work in August on a movie, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, mm-hmm. So really the, the bulk of the tour, probably 27 of the stops, I think, were or events were since just since September 11th. And so it's been a rapid, like, five or six weeks compressed schedule all through Michigan and um, the East Coast Corridor from Virginia, Maryland, D.C., up through New York and the Poconos and New England and just spectacular. Anything north of Washington, the Washington area, were new communities for me to meet. Mm-hmm. And so it was such a pleasure to sit in different audiences from Long Island to Woodstock 
and uh, you know hear the the audience responses to my talk, which uh, while some of it was based certainly in my experiences from my book, um, ultimately it was I framed my tour this year around a single question, and that question was. Um, if love is all there is, because we really like to talk a lot about love now, if love is really all there is, if it's if it's the answer, if it's all you need, then why hasn't love ever been enough to make our suffering go away? And that was the question that I based my entire talk on. I answered it using a metaphysical event. And uh, in every single situation, the answer to that question was much deeper and much more profound than the audience's expected so we kind of got collectively into a very deep, uh, honest place together in each audience, and it was just spectacular. There wasn't a single audience that it wasn't a really beautiful experience to share that uh, together with other people. So I just couldn't be happier. And I, I have to tell you, um, <laughs> I had one night open before my tour was ending, which my tour just ended Wednesday, and um, mm-hmm. I had Tuesday night open, and I had gotten a request from someone who wanted to know if I could give an event, a, a talk in their home. And I asked her for the audience profile because sometimes I get um, some invitations that, you know, I just want to make sure it's a good fit. And usually when people tell me their audience profile, they kind of dress it up a little bit. They tell me that, you know, these are people that are lifelong spiritual practitioners, they're great seekers, they're, well, they're well-read, they're Course in Miracles people, they're this and that. And this person responded that, um, well, it was probably going to be mostly hippies and alcoholics and potheads and spiritual <laughs> seekers. And, and I just thought that was the most beautiful, honest answer. And then uh, to top it off, she said, um, but, you know, trust that my home is really large. It can accommodate a lot of people because it's a former funeral home. And I just said, this keeps getting better and better. So, of course, I would love to do that as my final event. And it turned out to be one of the most emotionally rich, um, beautiful experiences because the audience, it was a packed house. There was twice as many people that showed up um, as we anticipated. And Mm -hmm. the audience was so real, so open, so honest, so ready. And it was a lot of tears and hugging, and it went on until well after 11 o'clock at night. And... It was just a beautiful experience. So uh, in every way, this tour was just a a really gorgeous um, few months, and I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to every community that hosted me and all the people that brought me in and trusted me with their community. So it was really good start to finish. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. Well, now that the tour has ended, let's, uh, I mean, not all of the listeners were, were able to make those events throughout the country maybe you can share a little bit of that of that um my talk of you of your talk yes yeah <laughs> and, talk uh, and I, sh- I should mention that the talk the basis of this talk is actually this the basis for my next book um too mm-hmm. and uh, answering that same question and i used a lot of the audience q a because I usually talk for about 45 minutes and then do about an hour and a half of Q&A. So I use the audience Q&A uh, to take note of what people would want to hear more in more depth and uh, the kind mm-hmm. of questions that they might have. And consistently, through all of the audiences, people consistently had the exact same kinds of questions from place to place to place, which was really nice. So ultimately, uh, I use a metaphysical event to answer this question. I tell about my background as a mystic, that I didn't mean to be a mystic, uh, that, you know, when I was growing up, I had no interest in religion or spirituality or anything like that. But um, eventually I started having these metaphysical events start happening, these deep, profound visions and insights about 16 years ago. And um, that the event that I was going to share with them is ultimately the sort of crux of all of my mystical events um, that have happened throughout all of these years, but it is played out through one single event. And I talk about um, encountering within me uh, working with a light being, a a large being of just a big source of love, uh, working on a light being with this, um, what was considered a block within me and my work, but ultimately this block was the origins of separation and at the same time our cry for union. And so it was the the nature of our own humanity's uh, separation from love and cry for union with love. So 
crying out for our own divine nature. And ultimately what the talk leads to is why when we uh, label things as negative, ultimately what we're labeling in our what we're labeling negative are our are our cries for union so our fear our judgment our self-loathing our sense of blame and anger and rage and et cetera, et cetera. these are all of the things that underneath come from the pain of our separation of knowing ourselves as divine love and uh in our model in a separation consciousness when we uh try to um heal quote, heal that pain with love through our kindness and compassion and caring and concern and empathy and all these things that we very earnestly um, and sincerely want to heal through love. What we're actually doing with that uh, with that action is we're employing a kind of uh, one part of us trying to make another part of us go away. We want the good in us to make the bad in us disappear. And that's ultimately in our separation paradigm. That's a paradigm of self-rejection. And rejection is the very thing that is the very source of our separation from love. And so we just, it's a vicious cycle. We just continue to keep ourselves in this cycle of self-rejection by this model of trying to employ what we think is love to heal our pain of separation from love. And so uh, as I walk the audience through that, I remind them that what we what we're actually crying out for that thing that we reject is union with divine love with awareness of our own divine nature and the divine love is something completely altogether different that it is not an action imposed on anything on the contrary it is just a state of being and it is a state of being purely um, um, unconditional. There's no conditions imposed on the state of being divine love. It's a state of pure equality that everything is allowed to be equal in its value and its potential and possibility to exist. It's also a state of pure freedom that every single thing is is uh, free to be what it is as it is in the state of divine love. That is also a state of pure unity that everything is brought into a full state of oneness with everything else as you know. And it is the ultimate in acceptance of what is in this present moment. So what we cry out for is our divine nature as love, which is the state of being unconditional, equal, free, unified, acceptance of what is in this present moment. And so as I sort of remind people of this and show them how that paradigm is quite different, uh, I talk about the inquiry of willingness and how that is really our only, at this point, the only step we need to take towards getting our own body, our own mind, our own field into the state of being divine love. And that inquiry of willingness is a really profoundly important step because then we can really look to see, you know, we, we talk a great game about wanting a new world, about wanting an awakened world. We want all of this suffering to go away. We want enlightenment for everybody. We want all this. But if we really dig deep into the willingness, uh, our own willingness of whether we're we're willing to be that which brings about that kind of world, it's not always the answer that we expect. Because when we dig a little deeper, we realize that, you know, Sometimes it feels really good to be righteous, and sometimes it feels really good to be bitchy and judge our neighbors, and uh, that, you know, we really do like our stories of conflict and uh, this sort of stuff. So then when we begin to own the negativity, that which we label negative, and we that we actually kind of get a charge out of it, we can then begin to sort of see, you know, there's something that I've been getting from this somehow, and... Why is that? What is this? And so we begin to sort of own a little bit of our own um, rejection of really wanting a divine nature. The other side of that is usually, and this is a large part of the uh, audience's uh, struggle with this, the other people that really don't feel willing to be the state of divine love are people that struggle significantly with self-loathing or self-blame or a lack of self-compassion because they don't think that it's even possible for them to be in a state of divine love, that they're not worthy. And um, that that whole audience, is a it's a very tender kind of inquiry process with them. And I remind um, those folks that the process is remembering that that cry, with that, that thing within them, that sense of self-loathing, 
or self-blame is their cry for union. And underneath that cry, there's a pain. And finding out what that pain honestly has to tell us as an equal member of everything else within us and that we ourselves are the person to answer that cry. And so helping people to sort of tenderly go through their own process of inquiry of deep, on, honest willingness um, has been a lot of the, the work of the Q&A sessions of my tour. And, boy, I tell you, there have been some really beautifully um, deep and profound things come out uh, in these audiences when people are really, you know, in that space collectively holding each other, and there's just a real power with um, helping people go deep and answer those questions. So that's what it was about, and um, the the emails that I've received and feedback that I've received consistently have just really shown me that this was really a timely subject to be talking about um, this year on my tour. Yes, yes. Also, um, when you just mentioned um, about the the loving what is, <laughs> the best way I can put it, is I've actually the last few days I've been having that conversation with many different people because um, I've, I've been people have been telling me they feel stuck or frustrated, and I I kind of go back to the now moment. I'm like right now, okay, then if you're frustrated and um, upset with this now moment, um, there that's that's where that's the key that's what we need to we need to embrace um this now moment meaning and it's kind of hard to put this in words when i say embrace the now um then it is what it is it's your reaction to what is like you were saying there is true there's no positive or negative or bad or good it's what we label it and um we and and in every moment, I, I, you know, for me, I believe in every moment there is a positive, there is a silver lining. There is something you can focus on in that moment that to be thankful for, because thanks, you know, to be grateful for in that, regardless of what's going on in that moment. And but a lot of times people will focus on the things they quote unquote don't want to happen, and then that's what they they focus their attention on that, and then they stay there, you know. So I have been with several different people this past week talking about, you know, really understanding that now is all there is. The enlightenment you seek, what you seek in the future is in the now. It's here and now because the future is not there. (laughs) All we have is the here and now. And so to what you're seeking is right here. And what we have to understand is to embrace it in the here and now. And that was right key. without that any was, kind of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah. that was a big piece for me. Um, mm. When I really got that and understood that more on a heartfelt level, not just an intellectual level, mm-hmm. um, it it changed my life. It truly yeah, did. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this um, idea of loving what is is a great message, and uh, but the key is letting people know what that actually means. Like what, so mm-hmm. this goes back to the question of we talk a lot about love, but what is love? So loving what is in this moment, sometimes we have this misperception that it means that um, I have to love being angry when it feels so bad, or I have to love that I've lost my child, or I have to love these and uh, without realizing that it is not, uh, again, an action imposed on this feeling, it's allowing the honesty of that feeling to be. And um, that it's whatever you feel, whatever you feel is perfect. It is an honest mm-hmm. expression. It's like one time somebody in one of my audience said, um, is it okay if I have righteous anger towards Donald Trump? And I said, well, first of all, you don't need my permission. But second of all, you already have it. Like to deny that you have it, doesn't mean that you don't have it. It's already there. So recognizing I do have this feeling and then being able to sort of dig a little deeper into what is beneath this feeling and not just at a superficial level because I have labeled it righteous anger and then I have all the attachments around the meanings of righteous anger and that that it should be uh, not there or that it's negative or whatever. It's simply taking the label away and you have these then just experiences in the moment which will shift and change and deepen and broaden and 
all of these other same things. So by just allowing what is to be what is, um, then more and more and more the authenticity that arises underneath all of that is a very joyous, open, accepting kind of nature that is our own divine um, uh, core nature. It is who mm-hmm. we are, being able to rise up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what I like to do is just kind of step back. It, when I say step back, not physically step back, but just kind of um, observe the mm-hmm. moment, you know, not not feeling the need that I have to react to it in any way. Just observe it and let it be, let that moment be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, so. if we can really get into that place uh, in a truly objective state, we begin to see great awe in that moment. We begin, begin to see the wonder of the nuances of all of how it came about and, you know, if we can look at how we've attached different conditioned beliefs or meanings or this, and we can really start to get into the, wow, look at what I've been doing or look how I've done this before or look what's possible now or look how rich this is. And this is the piece that, uh, you know, it takes a while to get to, but once you get into it, um, I'm, I'm often asked, about um, the mystery that's revealed on the other side of the veil because as a mystic I have these experiences that take me into these ethereal realms. And I always Mm -hmm. tell people the greater mystery is revealed on this side of the veil when that happens. And it is about discovering really underneath all of our beliefs and our behaviors and our conditioned living all of the nuances of how and what we're doing. And it's just fascinating uh, and we don't we have no we have absolutely no conscious clue about the levels of um beauty layered into our uh just unconscious behaviors and decisions and beha- uh, beliefs and when you uh-huh. get to a point where you can see them it's just fascinating it's like wow that is a we're amazing beings that we can do. I mean, granted, we've taken a lot of hard roads, but, but nonetheless, we have certainly learned in a very deep and expansive way through our uh, what we've been doing. So, right, and also with um, knowing that the non-judgment of what another is doing, because we they might be doing something that we wouldn't do, but to not judge it because they are going through their own experience and so we have to just you know hold everyone as divine and that in their divinity they're doing what they need to do for them they need they are exactly where they need to be they are perfect exactly where they are so i love that part of my maturing spiritually is to understand that because a lot of people will say, how can't you, you know, how do you not judge a murderer? Or not? You you don't when you understand the truth of what's actually happening, that you well, and take also, all of that. They're, they're not just perfect for where they are in their own life, but also for all those that they're teaching or learning from in their own life as well. You know, none of mm-hmm. us are doing this in a vacuum. And so we don't have any idea in anyone's life who's the student and who's the teacher. And so mm-hmm. anyone in their life circumstances, it's perfect for all involved. It, it may be very difficult for many to see the perfection in that moment until they have a broader view, but um, certainly everything that plays out in the big scheme of life is done to perfection. Mm-hmm. That's true, yes. And that, that's kind of it, the big scheme, seeing the big picture, which a lot of us is hard for us to to see the big picture, but as I believe you grow and awaken to your divinity, which is one with God, um, and God can see and know your higher self can see and know all that you understand. Even if you don't get it in this moment, if your your human consciousness doesn't get it in this moment, if you know in your heart that okay, whatever is happening is happening for my highest good. And I, I need to, you know, look for the good and be thankful for that moment. And I know it it it, it takes a, um, I guess it takes a little knowing on a heartfelt level. To me, it all not an intellectual, but a heartfelt level. When you know these things in your heart to be as they are, um, then you just have a sense of peace. Mm-hmm. I I understood understanding oneness. 
I understood the the phrase that Jesus said, um, the peace that surpasses all understanding. I understood that. You know, I didn't understand it when I was sitting in church listening to the minister preach to me, but I understood it. (laughs) But I understood it when I understood oneness. So, very very true. I like your way of saying about hearing it, understanding it through the heart, not the intellectual analysis, because this is often the case. People have to, if they go through the intellectual pathway, then they have to categorize it here and there and here and there, and then they lose the substance of it through the process of categorizing and uh, and sort of placing it into the boxes and uh, just just taking it in through the heart and letting the heart inform the rest of us is such a beautiful pathway. Mm-hmm. Now, sh- now you're going to share with us your documentary, your movie. Tell us all about that. Uh, well, actually, there's two things. There is a documentary. Um, I was invited to participate in a documentary on mysticism um, by a group called Three Bridges West. Um, there are um, some folks that make these high-end videos related to various uh, topics on religion and really fascinating videos. They travel all around the world and they video different people about different aspects of religion, like uh, people that paint the icon. Um, iconography paintings they paint holy beings or holy uh scenes on on temples or whatever so those painters and uh um people who know about the history of different temples and these sorts of things and um so they decided that they wanted to do um a documentary on mysticism and they arranged uh for a bunch of to interview a bunch of different mystics from different traditions in various places in the world. So Father Richard Rohr from the Catholic tradition, or Christian tradition, rather, um, Mm -hmm. Timothy Freak from the philosopher's uh, point of view, the Hindu uh, mystic, Sufi mystic, Jewish mystic, I don't know uh, what others, they have several. And then Mm -hmm. me from the no tradition, uh, just from the sort of direct, um, unplanned, (laughs) unplanned route. And uh, mm-hmm. so they they've filmed us in different areas of the world, and then they asked us all the identical questions, and then we could each answer from our varying perspectives. And uh, they were great questions, you know, the simple ones like what is love, what is the difference between religion and mysticism, but also interesting ones like what is the role of pilgrimage uh, in spirituality and or mysticism and things like that. So it was really such a pleasure to think about. Uh, these things and and listen to them from different perspectives. So they're in the process of wrapping up interviews for that documentary and will be uh, um, probably releasing that in spring or summer of 2017. So that's one Mm -hmm. movie. And then uh, I am working with a film producer um, named Matthew Hart, and uh, we've just written a screenplay for my book, Unwitting Mystic. He contacted me in July and wanted to know if I would consider um, making my book into a movie because he's a filmmaker. He's been a filmmaker for many, many, many years, and uh, he's been looking for a spiritual cinema project for a long, long time and uh, just couldn't find the right one. And then he read my book in July and said, yep, this is it. So he and I have written the screenplay. It's registered, and now we're in the final revisions and sending it out now for peer review with various directors and um, story editors and that sort of thing, and then talking about now uh, which direction we're going to be going—is it studio or independent? Um, and we're, you know, we're already at the stage of looking at makeup artists and uh, mm-hmm. um, set production people and all this. So it's just so exciting. Cinema, cinematic storytelling is such a different ball game than um, you know writing a liter- literary story or a narrative, and it's just been such a pleasure to learn all the ins and outs of how this happens in the movie industry, and it's a very heart-based guy that I'm working with, and even though he's, I think he's made now 40 movies in Hollywood, he's still just as uh, heart-centered as you and I, and uh, so Mm -hmm. he's been such a pleasure to work with, and I love that we have people like that in key roles getting the energy and stories out to our world, so it's been quite an adventure. That is so great. I, I'm loving, you know, whenever um, a new movie comes out in mainstream that is is showing, you know, bits and pieces of truth. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's great because a lot you know, of. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, you oh, no, I was just going to say <laughs> a lot of culture, you know, a lot of society and young people, they get a lot of their knowledge from movies and um, for movies now, and I think more and more are coming out each year that touch upon the truth of who we are and the truth mm-hmm. of oneness and, and love um, mm-hmm. just gives that, it's a way of reaching so many people that, you know, that... Um, that it can't be reached in other ways. Uh, I just, I, I just love it. Yeah. Now we have, you know, streaming services and mm-hmm. Netflix mm-hmm. and Amazon and Hulu and others that can bring independent films um, out to the masses. And then, even in the, uh, even in the major mainstream movies, like, and you know, from my talks, I talk about Disney and how mm-hmm. Disney, Disney mm-hmm. is ultimately the the sort of standard paradigm of using good to make bad go away and but even at the disney level you'll remember a couple years ago they had the great movie inside out um, that came out and that movie was about accepting sadness having the same value as joy and uh, you know so even in our major um major systems in our cultural systems we're seeing these these very key and important shifts in our in our um, paradigm shifting, so it's great. Yes, very true. Like movies like The Matrix, you know that. Yeah, that's right. A there big you go. One. Lots and lots mm-hmm. of people, big scale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there, even in like in mainstream movies, I'm seeing it. I I I look for it in almost every movie I watch. I look for tidbits of truth, and I really do believe that a lot of it is coming through movies and. And a lot of movie makers are pretty much awakening to universal right. truth. Yes. Right. And, you know, people talk about, uh, we talk a lot in my talks about the systems, changing the systems of our world, you know, governance and um, mm-hmm. uh, economics and education and that sort of thing. But, you know, the systems are made of people. There are people mm-hmm. within those systems. And the more that the individuals um, wake up, the more the individuals do their individual work and sort of untangle their own energy fields and open things up within them, the more that bleeds out into the systems that they impact. And, um, you know, we we can we can look at the power of just one little child. Uh, they don't even have to be at the, you know, sort of employed level or leadership level to make a difference. And we can look at uh, Malala um, mm-hmm. how, you know, Malala, I talk about this, I may have talked about this at the talk in the Poconos, um, you know, Malala was a 12-year-old girl just trying to promote education for girls, she and her father, and she was shot by the Taliban for that work. And Malala right. had every choice in the world about what to do with that event, and um, rather than meet fire with fire, she just went to the United Nations, did not say, you guys need to be taking up tanks and fighting the Taliban, she went and said, you guys need to be educating um, girls. And in doing that, you know, she was once asked, um, do you know the person who shot you? And she said, I wasn't shot by a person. I was shot by an ideology. And it is that kind of shifting of the ideology in response to these things um, that really is the key to making a difference because now she's had a global stage to entirely create a new mindset given the energy that she got from being shot in the head by the Taliban. And that has created this entire new momentum towards equality and freedom and these other things that are components of divine love. And so each of us within ourselves have the exact same kind of abilities to shift the ideologies that create that which arises within us. You know, mm-hmm. these things that arise within us didn't just start right now. They're, they've come from um, a mindset, an ideology that's very old and very layered and very tethered to many, many things. So as those things come up, we have every opportunity and choice to shift the, the ideology to which we uh, uh, to which we attach that from that point forward. Do we continue in the same vein, or do we create a new kind of mind stream for us um, to follow in our life? And so we're seeing it in lots of uh, little and big ways, both individually and collectively. And it's just so exciting. I, I look around and I just. I can't stand it. I'm just so excited. And I have to say, even you know, um, this sort of ties into what you were talking about, listening from the heart or, or understanding from the heart and this idea of youth <laughs> being involved in our changes. Um, the last two talks that I gave 
there were children in the front row. There was a nine-year-old girl in uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, in the very front first seat. And then uh, Tuesday night in um, Oxford, Pennsylvania, there was a 10-year-old sitting there in the front seat with her parents. And as you know, Caroline, you've heard my talk. It's a very weighty, deep talk. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I gave a 45-minute talk, and this little girl, the 10-year-old, both times, the, the girls were just mesmerized. They were completely just, they would not break uh, their eye lock with me. And on the last night, uh, during when I finished my talk and then we were going to go into Q&A, a few people mm-hmm. got up to go to the bathroom or whatever, and I just said to the little girl, quietly, are you okay? And she, she put her hands on her cheeks and she said, that was amazing. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, as you know, Caroline, it's it's a deep, intense, I have 60-year-olds that think, boy, I'm going to have to hear that again. That was really deep. And this girl mm-hmm. didn't, didn't listen intellectually at all. She just took it in through her heart. And the same right. thing with the nine-year-old girl. They listened in a completely different way without any kind of intellectualizing or frameworking what I was saying based on old conditioned frameworks. And mm-hmm. so it was just, she was after the, at both of the kids after the talks were just shaking and crying and saying, thank you so much. And one of them said, I'm so glad my mommy let me come hear this. Aww, <laughs> so, that is so Yeah, special. it's a testament to where we're going. We've got such wise kids coming along. I tell yeah, you, I really, yeah. I'm in love yeah. with all of it. Yes, and I do believe that the generation coming forth is, you know, they're awake, more awake than we were at that age. Much, <laughs> much more that. awake. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but, I you know, think. I have people, uh, there was a couple in uh, Morristown, New Jersey, a beautiful, huge audience there, and there was a doctor couple that was talking about their challenges with parenting these mm-hmm. young kids that are coming in now. They don't, they don't, uh, you know, buy into all of this kind of, life that we've got and so they don't know how to do the parenting and they're looking mm-hmm. at books and the books are telling them sort of the old ways of dealing with the kids and it those those old parenting paradigms just don't work anymore with um with kids who are really challenging why are we doing it this way and uh right. it's a beautiful yeah. position to be in but it's quite frustrating if you're the parent trying to allow your kids to kind of teach you and uh that's right. what's happening more and more is that the kids are now teaching the parents along the way Mhm. Yeah, which is great because now the parents just can open up and grow with the with the children. They can grow together. You right. Know, That's exactly that, right. Again, we never know who's the teacher and who's the student. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And I love how in your talk you describe um, that um, if a person has a um, uh, is holding hostility towards another person, what that mm. looks energetically. Can yeah. you can you share that with our listeners? Sure. Um, so I give the example of um conflict energies and, and ultimately what I'm what I'm addressing in this is the um profound power and importance of an individual's work, their own individual work internally. And this relates to what I was talking about earlier about the inquiry of willingness. Um, let's say, I'll just do the example that I usually tell. Let's say that you and I have a conflict, and mm-hmm. uh, now that we've had this sort of conflict energies between us, let's say I've done something that you think is very bad, uh, what that energy looks like, the actual energy itself, it, it looks like a knotted thread that you and I have wound around each other and just gotten tangled up. And as we move around, it doesn't matter where we are in our in our respective worlds. In our field of awareness, it's definitely there. And as we move around in our conflict energies, we're just pushing and tugging and tightening that thread and that, that knot um, and that entanglement very tight. And as you're in your your world and you're telling everybody how terrible I've been in this situation, you're taking little subsidiary threads of blame and victimhood and anger, and you're just tying it around everybody that you're talking to. You're extending our thread. And then I'm on my end doing the exact same thing as I'm talking about how I can't believe how you reacted and uh, I didn't do anything wrong and whatever. And so I'm on my end tying that thread around other, every, all the people. So now we're just in this great big mass of entangled energy because of a core um, thread of conflict that you and I have. 
And from a planetary perspective, this is what we have looked like for many, many, many eons. And we're all just bound down in these very tangled, dense, still um, entanglements of conflict. And Mm -hmm. so in this example, if I do my work in this instance and I go in and I really honestly own deeply, truly, everything that I truly feel and uh, every way that I've behaved, what I've said, every single thing, and I honestly own my own responsibility in this, and I get to the place where I can finally be in a place of pure forgiveness. And that's not forgiveness of you, because that would be a judgment that you did something Mm -hmm. wrong. It will always and only be a, a, a forgiveness for myself. When I get to the place of pure forgiveness for myself, what happens to that thread that's around me just opens up and begins to flow because now I have transmuted my end of the thread to love. It is a place of just allowing what is to be in its true, honest state. And as my end opens up and now flows very, very easily, you no longer have anything to push and pull against from me. And so your end of the thread, the core thread between us, begins to open up and flow around you. And as it opens up around you, it begins to open up then around all of the people that you've tied these other threads around. And I'm on my end. The same thing is happening. All of it is opening up around the people around me. And so now all of us have open energy that was once very constricted and knotted, but now it opens up and flows. And from a planetary perspective, this too is what's happening, that more and more and more people, as each one of us does our own individual work, we begin to loosen up these entanglements from other people as well, and the collective can uh, open up and flow on a massive scale. This is what's happening. And we know this uh, in terms of our uh, sort of rising up closer and closer to our remembrance of our own divine nature, because all of us know about the teachings of unconditional love today, and they're in very common it's a very common teaching threaded throughout many traditions. Mm-hmm. It's a very common place to do that. But 100 or 200 years ago, nobody was talking about that from their particular traditions. And we can look at what's been happening in our world around equality for the last 100-plus years based on gender and race and sexual orientation, et cetera, not just in America but everywhere around the planet. There has been this incredible momentum, very fast relative to how long we weren't doing it, um, towards Mm -hmm. uh, bringing everybody up into an equal playing field. And this whole idea of freedom of expression is we have a world wide web that allows everybody to, you know, do that on massive scale. And it's being especially pushed out on the boundaries right now by the transgendered community, freedom to express what we are as we are. And, um, of course, you know uh, the teachings of oneness, of unity and oneness, you know, is very, very common right now. And uh, and then, you know, entire industries have been built on this idea of accepting what is in this present moment, the power of now. And so yeah. these are all the components of divine love. And the reason that they're rising up everywhere around the planet is because more and more of us have been doing our individual work to get closer and closer and closer to that alignment with our own divine nature and allowing our own divine nature to rise up and things to flow within us, within uh, our relationships with people, and as a result within the collective as well. Mm-hmm. Very true. And the the other thing, um, the golden rule, uh, do unto others as you would have do unto you, mm-hmm. is also at the core of all major religions. It's it's, you, you'll find it in every culture. So, mm-hmm. like you were saying, unconditional love, divine love, um, do unto others. I believe Jesus said, um, treat your brother as yourself, because Jesus knew that your brother was yourself. So it, it, it's so true, and it is, I think, one by one, people are waking up to that truth. And, and like you said, it, um, for change to truly occur in the collective, it starts with you. It starts with the man in the mirror, as Michael Jackson would say. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I just want to say uh, this, you know, this sometimes we need a little definition of unconditional love, too, mm-hmm. because people don't really know what that is either. And I'll just tell you what I tell people in my audiences. There are 
there are sort of four words or terms that we can keep in mind if we're doing it. We're not unconditional. The first one is the word if. And so let's say unconditional love of ourselves. I will love myself if. The other one is when. I will love myself when. I will love myself as long as. Or I will love myself because. So if, when, as long as, and because are all conditions. They all place mm-hmm. a condition on. The, so if you're if, if something isn't yet, then it, when or whatever, then we're not going to love. So making sure that we're we're watching our own mind about these little tags that we're putting on on it often unconsciously, and recognizing that uh, can, unconditional literally means no conditions imposed whatsoever. True. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And like you said, it does start from loving self. Love, you know, love yourself unconditionally will allow you to love others unconditionally. So right. that is so That's true. Exactly right. Yes, yes. And, and and we are so much more powerful than we think we are. Like you were saying that mm-hmm. some audiences, they have this self-loathing or you know, they're like, how can I love myself? You know, it's, you know, it's that's kind of kind of the way we were brought up by society. You're not good enough, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you are. And when you understand that, you know, again with the heart, when you understand that at the heart you're good, you can love you, and that mm-hmm. love can radiate out to others because really the others are just a reflection of you. Right, and, uh, and realizing it, it, that we are the ones that we're waiting for ourselves to mm-hmm. love, like that that we're waiting on ourselves to love ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. but we keep you know sort of searching externally for that, and um, especially with with those who really struggle with the self-loathing, that's a very very difficult thing for them to uh, to sort of sink into. It's been such a shocking, um, not shocking, but such a stark reality to face in the audiences with so many of the members really sort of confessing about their own self-loathing and whatever. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I've also gotten many um, emails subsequent to this saying, you know, something finally broke um, in them Mm -hmm. and they just had this great aha realizing that they had the power all along. Mm -hmm. It's like what uh, I think it was Glinda said to Dorothy and Wizard of Oz, you had the power all along, dear. Yes, 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 that's so true. That's so true. And and that is like another uh, key in a movie, like The Wizard of Oz at the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's another key of truth that that mm-hmm. the movies are, are sharing with the uh, with the world that that you have the power within you. I mean, books are wonderful, teachers are wonderful, all of these things are wonderful. But the, it it really all those things in truth point you to you, because the the the, the awakening comes from within you to mm-hmm. understand it on a heart level, on a uh, experiential level, and when you have that. Then you, for me, I'm t- my aha moment was just like, wow. And then, like, <laughs> and then you start, when you get it, you're like, how did I get this? You know, what took me so long? Yeah, I know, there is something that. like it's so simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, and and I now and I now I'm at the point. It's like I don't understand how everybody <laughs> doesn't get I this, yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, we're all on our own. We're all spiritual, divine, spiritual light beings mm-hmm. on a journey, on a path, and That's so they're they're exactly where they're supposed to be. And so I know that, and I just hold nothing but love and and understanding and un- that unconditional love is is Amen. so true. Amen. And that's that's one of the things that got me as a child when I was uh, going to Catholic school. Um, you had religion in school, and and you know that you were going to go and burn in hell if you were bad and all that. And I, at five and six years old, I would think, well, what, I, I I understood what unconditional love means at five years old. So like, if God is unconditionally loving. How is it I'm going to end up burning in hell? I don't right. get it. You know, at, yeah, at, at a young age. <laughs> huh? Go ahead. Somebody <laughs> tell me this. 
yeah. So uh, yeah, I want. I wanted. See, I was brought up in the '60s in my a very strict family, and we. My father said children are to be seen and not heard. So mm-hmm. I could think it. I just couldn't ask the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Picking my teeth up off the floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're in a different time where kids are allowed to ask. And uh, yes. I think that's exactly what we've needed is for kids to question, right? Yes. Question yes. why? Question why? Yes. There's a. We were talking in one of my talks uh, a couple. Uh, this was the doctor couple that was having trouble with their um, kids. They were saying that I was telling them that I have a friend whose 11-year-old boy was saying. It doesn't make sense to me that I have to go to school. I'm a kid. Shouldn't I be outside playing like a kid? Like, isn't mm-hmm. this the time that a kid gets to play? Isn't that what a kid yeah. does to sort of learn through the world? And uh, wow. Dr. Couple was saying that's what our kid is doing, too. It's like it doesn't make any sense to put them in a box, tell them that they have to sit in this box with all these other children, and then learn in the same way that all these other children are learning what we tell you to learn rather than going and exploring the world on their own, in their own way of learning, in their own curiosities. And, and these 11-year-old kids are like, why? Why do we have to do yeah. it that way? Why can't we do it like the, the way that would be like what we want to know about the world or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. <laughs> it's a very good question. You could see the very, very good question for an 11-year-old to be asking, and one that the adults should be trying to figure out, well, why do we do it this way? Because our yeah. parents did it this way. We were raised this way. That's right. That's a testament to their willingness to, to not just say, because I told you so or because I said right. so, and, which is the era that we grew up in, right? It's because you don't even yeah. ask the questions, yeah. but if you do, it's because I said so. And mm-hmm. so it's a real testament to you know the intergenerational work now of allowing both the parents and the, the students, uh, sorry, the students, the parents and the children, to both be teachers for all of us. Exactly, exactly. And the other part that I got is that those people in our lives that we say cause us the most grief (laughs) and the heartache, they're actually our biggest teachers. You know, they they are the ones that are waking us up. To, you know, they are actually our biggest teachers, and a lot of people say, "Well, how can that person?" But it, it, when you look at it at the big picture, when you mm-hmm. look at the big picture, you see how that person is actually your biggest teacher, the one that uh, drives you crazy the most. And then you mm-hmm. have to figure out, well, what is it? Because it's what mm-hmm. is it in you that mm-hmm. is going crazy about what they're doing? You know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, but you know, then it's the, the the credit is to us of being willing to look at those lessons, because we can mm-hmm. fight it, we can keep fighting it, we can keep fighting it, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, we we need to give ourselves credit for the moment where we say, what is it that I can learn from this? And that's a exactly self loving kind of question. What is it that I can learn from this? And sort of the surrendering of control, if you will. Mm-hmm. So true. That is so true. So now, okay, you have finished uh, your U.S. tour. What are you off to now? What's coming up next? (laughs) Well, uh, right now I have a week's vacation, happily, and I finally get a good night's sleep and give my voice some rest and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, just hang out with some very dear friends here. And then uh, we're going off to London. I have a TV interview November 4th on Conscious TV. And okay. uh, which I'm very much looking forward to, and then and I'll put that information on my website, and then okay. uh, on the fifth I'm giving a little talk among friends there and uh, having a little time with friends from the nunnery in London, and then uh, we're off to France to just kind of tootle around for a little bit and take a little break and see what happens next. Amazing. I don't really have any plans beyond that. I'm seeing what happens as the movie unfolds and what the schedule is with all of that. So. I have kind of my schedule. I'm working on my next book, and uh, so I'll be working on that, you know, as time goes on, as the days allow. So, are you going yeah. to Paris? And uh, yes, we you're will in be in Paris. Paris. Yes. Oh. You want to meet us? There? I'm just. I would love, 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 love. That's one of the cities. I mean, there's few cities I would love to to visit, but that is one of the cities I'm dying to visit one day. But please share your um, website with our listeners 
the name of your website? Yep, the name of the website is unwittingmystic.com. And uh, you can find my book there, or you can find my book on Amazon.com in print or e-reader version as well. And um, I don't think I – the only thing I have coming up uh, is the Conscious TV. Otherwise, there's um, Uh our interviews that people can watch if they want more information or some other interviews that are available on my website as well. Awesome, awesome. Very, very good. Well, this is this is an exciting month we're living in, October 2016. Um, this coming Monday, is, which I'm sure you're aware of, is the seventh annual Global Oneness Day. Yes. And I yes. And I'm so if no one as if you have not heard of Global Oneness Day, you have to Google Global Oneness Day, and um, it is a 12-hour summit. Telesummit online. You can register for free, um, and there are some amazing speakers. We have Deepak, Deepak Chopra is our uh, honorary chairperson this year. Uh, we have Den, uh, Panas Desai. We have Ayanla Vanzant. I mean, just a host of amazing, amazing speakers. Um, several panels. We have scientists. The science of one. The the Science of Oneness panel. Um, if you're into science and you want to see what science is talking about when it comes to oneness, so it's a 12-hour program that starts at 8:15 um, Pacific to 8:45 Pacific. So it's a, a p.m. So it starts at 8:15 a.m. and ends at 8:45 p.m. So a 12 and a half hour program um, that it's free. Just Register, listen to it. You could also listen to it for 48 hours afterwards if you miss any portions of it on the day because I'm sure not many people are going to be sitting. Well, some will be. I will be (laughs) listening through the whole 12-hour program. But if you miss any of it, you can also um, listen to the replay for 48 hours afterwards. Um, I do. I work with the uh, Humanities team. With I know you're very familiar with Humanities team, and they're doing some amazing work, um, which is exactly our mission, my mission, which is to help inspire the world to awaken to the truth of oneness is the exact same mission of Humanities team. So it's a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> and I, I also have the honor this year of speaking on the closing ceremony panel this year. So nice. I'm very, very excited. Congratulations. That's very good. You know, it's really nice. I mean, I've, I I listened in on a couple of things uh, for Global Oneness Day, and I, I recall it was uh, John Miguel Ruiz and um, I don't remember who else, but it was a, uh, maybe Barbara Marks Hubbard and a couple of other people, and mm-hmm. they were really such rich conversations, you know, they were, that are shaping our thinking and shaping our world, and uh, really beautiful um, talking about industries and religion and the common ground um, uh, rising up and making changes within all of these various systems of our world. So it's wonderful what they're doing, and uh, I'm so yes. glad that you're a part of it, and congr- congratulate yes. all of you on their work there. Yes, thank you so much. And you tune in on Monday, okay? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, and all of our listeners tune in. Okay, well, thank you, thank you so much, Mary. This has been a, what is wonderful the first time I had Mary on last July. There were technical difficulties with Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> so I was like, and that was the first time it's ever happened, and it has never happened since. Thank you. So I'm so glad that this time there were no technical difficulties Me with Blog too, Talk yeah. Radio. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So now okay. it's great. You have a week to rest your voice. And then you you have to post pictures when you're in London, and especially when you're in Paris. <laughs> All right, and I will specifically tag you and make sure that you see them, Caroline. Thank you yes, so much for yes, having want, me again. It's I, a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Yes, I want to live vicariously through your pictures. <laughs> thank okay. you so much. We can well, do thank it. you, thank you. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your weekend. This is a beautiful weekend here, and you're in Connecticut. We're not far away from each other, so it's a beautiful fall weekend. And just enjoy the beautiful colors and and relax. Thanks. 
Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Many blessings to I, you. Take care. Many care. blessings and safe travel. Okay. okay. Bye God bye. bless. Bye bye.